You're listening to Pulse Radio. Everybody, this is Randall Barnes, the host of Post Radio, in the building for another special edition of the show on today, where we're breaking down the first day of the NBA playoffs. It is official. The play-in tournament is over. And although I do consider the play-in tournament the playoffs, it's the wild card around for the NBA. We're talking about playoff basketball. I'm so excited. The games have been amazing thus far. And of course, we have those big marquee matchups on tomorrow let's go on and get into it let's not delay let's talk about the jazz versus the mavericks and the jazz as they should have beat the mavericks 99 to 93 i saw a lot of red flags in this game but you had donovan mitchell the superstar he started off very rough in the first half only scoring two points, and I think he went over in the first half, but he ended up scoring 32 points, had six rebounds, had six, had six assists, one steal, one block, but he was 10 for 29 from the field. That ain't good. But Donovan Mitchell had a lot of help from Bogdan Bogdanovich. He had 26 points, five rebounds, four assists, and he made two three-pointers. And it was really just a sad, bad game for every other Utah Jazz player. The only reason why they won was because Luka didn't play and because the Mavericks did not have a dependable scorer. And here's what I'm seeing from the Jazz real quick. I want to just say this. The Jazz are going to break up after this season. I think that if the Jazz don't make the Western Conference Finals or if the Jazz don't make the NBA Finals or win the championship, you're going to see some pieces move. Because I think this team has run its course. When we came into the NBA season, I said that the Miami Heat and the Utah Jazz were two of the deepest teams in the NBA. Because when I looked at the 1 through 12 rotation for the Miami Heat, and I looked at the 1 through 12 rotation for the Utah Jazz, I was like, no one's stacking up to them. And the Jazz might not be the best team in the West, but they're going to be a formidable team that's going to be held to play in the playoffs. So I don't know what happened. I think it's more so chemistry because they were disjointed in that first half. And I know that basketball is four quarters and you can't worry about what happened in the first quarter. You got to look at what became in the fourth quarter and how they rallied together. But the Jazz have some chemistry problems that I believe is going to kill them if they do advance against a Luka-less Mavs. But here's my thing. The Utah Jazz are the number one offense in the NBA. Why do they not bust 100 points on the Mavericks without their star player? Why did they not do more? Why why were they trailing for like half the game? Why did it take Donovan Mitchell finally connecting on the shots he was taking for them to come back? And when Donovan Mitchell started rolling, you had had Bogdanovich that was doing his thing. What I'm trying to, to, to figure out, like, Why do y'all not take off on them? You're dealing with a team of role players. And I believe that the Mavericks are a good team, honestly. 
and they showed it to me because I thought that it was going to be a blowout. I thought I was going to be playing the Xbox Series S this Saturday. I thought I was going to be playing some WWE 2K22. I might have played NBA 2K22 and played a different game, all right? I'll probably play with the Lakers since they're not doing nothing. But I was locked in because the game was interesting because the Mavericks kept fighting. Jason Kidd is a great coach, and I think the mark of a great coach is making the best out of the players you have on the court. Luka's not there. Well, you make the best out of Jalen Brunson, who led them in scoring. And if you look at it, if you look at the box score, this game saw the Mavericks step up. Jalen Brunson at 24 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists on today. He played above his season averages, 16.3 points per game, 3.5 rebounds per game, 4.8 assists per game. When you have your role players such as Spencer Dinwiddie with 22 points, Reggie Bullock with 15 points, Dorian Finney-Smith with 14 points, when they're playing above their season averages, when Luka's sitting down, that's what you need to even have a semblance of hope that you can split one of these games and then hope that Luka makes a, makes a miraculous recovery in game three or four. You want this to be a five-game series. The Mavericks showed me something. The Mavericks are not going to go down without a fight. They're not just going to get bulldozed by the Jazz because the Jazz can't bulldoze them. They have a chemistry issue. They have an issue with the fact that there's no one else. Now, and Bogdan had, had a great game on today, but can I expect for Bogdan Bogdanovich, who averages 18.1 points per game for this season. Can I expect him to play above his season average every game? Can I expect for him to be the reliable second scorer with Donovan Mitchell? I mean, maybe. I mean, he was doing pretty good this year, but can I reasonably expect that it's going to be him? And I know Rudy Gobert had a great game considering. He did have five points, but he had 17 rebounds and he had three blocks and he was affecting the game on the defensive end. And he was doing the dirty work and his just pre his presence in the paint forced a lot of the Mavericks players to just miss shots. He was not a liability, although he did not score, but I need for Rudy Gobert to play up to his average. And I need for the bench for the Utah Jazz. And once again, I said that they were the deepest team in the NBA right next to the Miami Heat. So essentially, I was saying that they were the deepest team in the West. Why did your bench only have 20 points for the whole entire game? And Jordan Clarkson had 10 of them. That's not good enough. That is not good enough. Y'all only made, y'all only got, what, eight field goals off the bench? And y'all want to contend for a championship. If Luka played this game, the Mavericks would have won. I am convinced. But also... Here's something that I see when it comes to coaches. What I see when it comes to coaches, especially your strategy-minded coaches, and we saw this with J.B. Bickerstaff as well as Tyron Lue. Of course, J.B. Bickerstaff on last night with Trey Young and how Trey Young adjusted in the second half of that Cavaliers game. And then with Tyron Lue with the Timberwolves and also with the Pelicans, you make adjustments to fit the scheme that you believe, on, especially on defense, will disrupt their star player. Then the player figures it out and you don't make an adjustment. So the great coaches make multiple adjustments throughout a game. If the adjustment you made at the start of the game from watching the game film and doing all you need to do to make sure, hey, like this is how we stop this player. 
and the player adjusts to that, you need to make another adjustment. And if they adjust, you need to go out to the drawing board and say, hmm, based on the information that I have right now, the stats and also the eye test, what can I do to slow them down? If I can't slow them down, what can I do to slow the people down around him? And here's the thing. If Rudy Gobert shot no, shot no field goal, he made no field goals, he had five points but 17 rebounds. Why are you not putting Boban out there? Why are you not putting Marquise Chris out there? Why are you not putting your taller players out there to contend with Gobert? Now, I understand the defensive philosophy of, hey, we want to put Duncan Powell out there. We want to put Maxi Kleba in the center spot because Maxi Kleba can space the floor. And he had 10 points and he made uh, two three-pointers. And yeah, and you have Duncan Powell, who's a switchable big. But you're getting eaten up on the rebounding. On the glass, Rudy Gobert had 17 rebounds, right? And the Jazz in general won the rebounding battle 53 to 34. The Jazz had 40 defensive rebounds. That's not good because you're telling me that you're not going up on offensive glass and getting points off the cleanup. That's not good, especially when you're trying to find points with Luka not playing. The reason why the Jazz won is because the Mavericks were not able to find a reliable score down the, down the stretch. Dorian Finney-Smith made a nice three-pointer. Jalen Brunson was turning up, but the ball would have been in Luka's hands if he was playing. That's why having a fully well-rounded team matters. See, a good team like the Mavericks, they're going to contend even against a full team in the Jazz. The number one offense in the NBA, they played well and held them under 100 points. But you need Luka as a star to give you an ungodly amount of points. Maybe Luka gets 40 points. Maybe he gets 35 points and 10 assists, and then you get over 93 points. You might get 113, and this game is 99-113, and then the Mavericks hold serve at home. Luka would have changed the game because you know that he would have scored, at the very least, up to his season average. And that's the difference. And that's why I believe that the Jazz should be on notice. If Luka comes in and scores 28 points, and most likely Luka probably would have scored more than that because the Jazz defense was not, they left little to be desired because the Mavericks were just missing shots. If Luka played up to his 28.4 season average with a point in points with 8.7 assists on a 45% clip, the Mavericks win this game. The Jazz have to do something. Mike Conley, I'm looking at Mike Conley because Mike Conley's the next factor. Mike Conley is the guy, yes, be a facilitator. He's a pure point guard. He's all, he, he's one of those old school type of point guards, but I need him to put up 20. If Rudy Gobert's going to give you five points, if you have Jordan Clarkson, who's your dynamo off the bench, that's only going to give you 10 points and he scored half of the bench points, I need Mike Conley to step up. If, if, if Bogdanovich is doing, is doing his thing, Mike Conley, Step up to the plate, man. We need you. I'm scared for the Jazz. Like I, I picked the Jazz in five, I think. I don't know. To be 100% honest with you, I don't know. I, I think the Mavericks, even without Luka, can still make it. I think that this is going to go five or six games. It's not going to be a sweep unless the Jazz make an adjustment going into the second game on this week. Unless they make an adjustment, it's not going to be pretty. And I think the adjustment they need to make is they need to have a, a, a freaking guys night out. <laughs> they need to, to go to some restaurant in Dallas and just 
have like a team dinner. <laughs> like y'all need y'all need to go, man, man, go ride a roller coaster or something. Like y'all need to bond. Y'all need to create memories. Y'all need some a chemistry experiment because it's just, the morale's just not there. Donovan Mitchell's star power, he had like a Trey Young type turnaround as far as in points and productivity in the second half. That's why y'all won. Bogdan Bogdanovich is not enough to, to bring it in for y'all. But shout out to him for making it happen. Shout out to him. But I'm I'm concerned. I'm very concerned. But you have to give a hat off, a hats off to the Mavericks because they were supposed to be blown out by the number one offense. I expect this to be a snooze fest. But but it was a good game. And man, I wish Luca could have played. It would have been an amazing start to the NBA slate of games. But hopefully Luca's well. I'm glad that they're being patient with him because the last thing that we need as basketball fans and as NBA fans that like our young stars, we don't want Luca to get injured. We don't want we don't want Luca to go through what Kevin Durant went through. So I'm glad they're they're, they're making the process slow and that the team is stepping up. And I'll say this one last thing. If Jalen Brunson can play up to, to his, his season average or higher, it's Spencer Dinwiddie who, who had 22 points today. He normally scores 14.7 for the season. Reggie Bullock, 15 points. He's an 8.6 points per game scorer for the season. Dorian Finney-Smith, he scored 14 points today. He's normally an 11 points per game scorer for the season. If y'all continue to play up to the level of the playoffs, and y'all outplay your scoring averages for the season, and the Jazz have another dismal game in game two, y'all split this season series, and Luka's back for probably game four. And now it gets interesting. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We're going to need to look at what's going to happen at the end of the series, at the end or the middle of the series, instead of the beginning, because I'm telling you, that's going to be what determines it. When Luka comes back, if the Jazz don't adjust, they're going to be going home, and it's going to be a lot of questions that need to be answered. And maybe Quinn Snyder gets fired and becomes the Lakers coach, because at this point, we don't know. But it's not looking good for the Jazz. They got a bad draw. They didn't have a great regular season. They dropped a lot of games they, they should have won, and they had definitive chemistry issues, and they lost a lot of leads. They lost a lot. They collapsed a lot of leagues. Leads. Y'all say, oh, the Falcons, oh, they fumbled the bag in the Super Bowl. Y'all need to make the Utah Jazz the point of reference for dropping a lead because they dropped so many leads this year, and that's the reason why they're in the number five hole playing Luka and the Mavericks, not Luka yet, but they're playing the Mavericks that very well could beat them because the Mavericks are a team that is well-coached. So I'm telling you, the playoffs are about adjustments. The playoffs are about scheme and strategy. It's a chess game. This ain't, this ain't the NCAA tournament. This isn't the play-in tournament. This is a seven-game series that's going to go long if the Jazz don't step it up. So y'all need to go to a team dinner and figure out what's going on. Y'all need to get in that locker room and hash it out. Because if y'all don't step up and if y'all don't come together as a team, it's going to get ugly. And in the offseason, y'all are going to have some real questions to answer. All right, so let's talk about the Grizzlies versus the Timberwolves. I said and I boldly declared and I stand by it that this will be the most interesting first-round matchup this year. And I think that the Heat and the Hawks will be second 
they might be tied with the Nets because I'm interested to see what the Nets do against the Celtics. But I believe that the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies, they're both fast-paced teams. They have two younger stars in Anthony Edwards and John Morant. So I was excited for this matchup because typically you don't see a mesh of two stars like this. Like you see Anthony Edwards as he's rising and you see John Morant as he's rising. Imagine, and don't get me wrong in my comparison, imagine LeBron versus Dwayne Wade like when they both were year three in the league. And I know year three, Dwayne Wade, well, I think, yeah, year three, yeah, year three. Year three, Dwayne Wade won the championship, you know, and then year four, LeBron went to the finals. Imagine them facing off in the playoffs as they ascended. That's what I see from Anthony Edwards and John Morant. We might not see this again, depending on how their careers go. But they gave us a show. Both of them uh, scored uh, over 30. Um, you had Anthony Edwards that scored 36 points. And you had John Morant that scored 32. But here's where things got sticky. And here's where it became a problem for the Grizzlies, where they lost 130 to 117. John Morant was surprisingly ineffective in the second half. He started off going in. 19 points in the first half. No one could stay in front of him. He was making Patrick Beverly look like a fool. And he was hitting so many great shots, mid-range shots, a bunch of close-up shots. He was doing his thing that first half, 19 points. He scored 13 points in the second half. And mind you, he only had two field goals in the second half. Now, one of those field goals was a nice, impressive poster dunk on D'Angelo Russell that I actually had to rewind. I missed it because I, was, I wasn't looking. <laughs> I wasn't looking, so I had to rewind it. All I heard was, like, the commentators going crazy and the Grizzlies fans just going federal. And I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. But they showed the ticket. They were like, hey. They, they showed at, at the bottom of the screen. They said John Morant had, like, that, that he's only scored one field goal since the second quarter. I'm like, for real? And it was the fourth quarter. And he scored a garbage time field goal like around the end, around towards the end of um, the game when the game was out of reach. He scored a garbage time field goal just to lay it up. And he had 32 points. That's not acceptable. I understand that the Grizzlies went 20 and five without John Morant. They were a surprisingly great team without him. They beat the Suns without him. I think they beat the Warriors. They, of course, the Lakers weren't all that great this year, but they beat the Lakers. Like, they really were doing amazing without him, which was surprising, and a lot of folks said that that hurt his MVP chances. But my thing with Ja is that he can't rely on his guys just stepping up. He has to be the star. See, when I look at the Timberwolves team, the Timberwolves have an abundance of scoring. You have your big three. You have Carl Anthony Towns. That's a three-level scorer. You have Anthony Edwards that is your playmaking slashing forward. And you have D'Angelo Russell that can get a shot. He's a three-level scorer. And D'Angelo Russell is surprisingly quick. He can get to the basket. Now, D'Angelo Russell only had 10 points this game. He had the same amount of points as Patrick Beverly. But you can't expect for D'Angelo Russell to only get 10 points for the rest of the series. Like, D'Angelo Russell's going to have a game where he's going to get 20 or 30, just like he did in the playing game against the Clippers on Tuesday. But the thing is that you look at the top to bottom scoring, right? Anthony Edwards, 36 points. You had Carl Anthony Towns, 29 points, 13 rebounds. Michael, you had Michael Beasley, 23 points. You had Josh McDaniels, 15 points. You had D'Lo and Pat Bev, they both had 10 points. That's a dearth of scoring, and that's great. And then at the top of that list, you have Carl Anthony Towns that is basically matching Anthony Edwards for points. 
But when you look at the box score for the for, for Ja Morant and the Grizzlies, Ja had 20 free throw attempts and only made two field goals after a great first half. That's not how you win a game. And yeah, you had you had Dylan Brooks that 24 points, but I didn't see the level and volume of scoring from the Grizzlies that I did from the Timberwolves. And that is going to determine this series. I believe that the Grizzlies are going to figure it out because remember, this is not the NCAA tournament. This isn't the Super Bowl. This isn't, you know, the NFL playoffs. This is a seven-game series where it's a chess match with the coaches and also with the players. It's on them to get into the film room and adjust. So now the Grizzlies have to get back home court advantage and they have to win either one or two of the games in Minnesota. I'm not that Cavalier to say, oh, the Timberwolves got it off of one game. I'm not that Cavalier to say, oh, the Grizzlies are going to come back and gentlemen sweep them. I'm not that Cavalier. And the reason why I say that is because the Timberwolves are a good team. And folks are so singular with, what, with who's good and who's not. Both teams can be good. Both teams can be great. I think that the Timberwolves are on the cusp of something amazing. And I don't think that Cat was far off. He, I don't think the Timberwolves will be a dynasty. You never know. But I don't think they'll be a dynasty. But they're going to be a title contender. Because remember, the Warriors are getting old. The Jazz just ain't doing it. The Lakers, their time is almost up because LeBron is closer to the end of his run than the beginning. So Luka's going to emerge, and he's going to start winning series. He's going to start dominating the field. Ja Morant's going to come up. He's going to start dominating the field. Zion's going to eventually come back, and I think he's going to prove a lot of folks doubt him and body shaming him. He's going to prove a lot of folks wrong, and he's going to start. He's going to continue to put up those historic numbers that he was putting up last year. So who else is coming up? The Grizzlies. You have... You have Anthony Edwards that is, a, to me, I think that Anthony Edwards is going to shape up to be one of the best shooting guards in the league. It's going to be a battle between him and Devin Booker. The Suns are going to be on the rise. I think that the Suns are learning how to win. And once Chris Paul moves on, whether he goes to another team or retires, I think that with Monty Williams at the helm and you have James Jones that's going to be building that team, I think that they're going to be formidable. And Devin Booker, to be honest, hasn't even hit his prime yet. So when I look at the next powerhouse teams in the West, the Timberwolves are up there right with the Grizzlies. And I think today they showed you that because the media have been all up on the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies have been everyone's media darling and they deserve it because they had a great regular season. But they would have fared better to me, I think, playing the Clippers than they would have playing the Timberwolves because there's so many ways for them to beat you. If Cat's going in, man, he's going to the basket, he's shooting, he's getting to the foul line, and then if Anthony Edwards is on, there's no stopping him. The only problem I have with Anthony Edwards is that my guy don't pass, bro. Like, like it was one play where he went to the hole, and granted, he did get it and won, so I guess he he's the, he's the baller, he's the number one pick, he's the guy, he had 36 points today, he knows better than me what to do. But I'm just saying, when the defense collapses on you, every time you're not going to get a clean shot, especially in the playoffs when like the referees will be more ginger on blowing the whistle. When you have Patrick Beverly over there that actually is a pretty good three-point shooter, I would rather Anthony Edwards kick it to him because I don't want Ant to get injured and, and most likely he'll get like, like, like a very contested shot 
that's a low percentage shot and it'll miss and that could be a momentum shifter because the Grizzlies now are now running full court and they're going down to their end and John Morant might get a highlight dunk and that might get the Grizzlies crowd roaring and that might spark a run. So that's my thing. Like now, granted, he made the right decision because that was an and one play, but he got to start passing. The, the, like the defense of any team typically is going to collapse to help on you because you're that explosive of a scorer. You can dunk over one guy. So other players on the defense are going to help. So pass the ball when Ant gets that and the Timberwolves might be unstoppable, especially if you continue to put shooters around him. So what the Grizzlies need to do, they need to find some scoring outside of John Morant. Like they need someone to match John Morant the same way that Carl Anthony Towns matched Anthony Edwards. That's what they need to find for, for Ja. And Ja needs to step up. Ja should have 36 points. You went to the line 20 times, but you didn't make a field goal? You, you, only, made, you only made two field goals and one of them was garbage time? Nah, man. Like he, he really had 30 points, if you want me to be real. He really had 30 points. He not on 32 points. He had 30 points and shot 16 of 20 from the line. Ja, that's unacceptable. But I believe that he'll do better. I think the Grizzlies will win game two. And I believe there's going to be a seven game series. And when it, when they win game two, it's going to get real interesting going into Minnesota. But I want to say this one last thing. There was another protester that came out on the court on the sideline. And this time they chained themselves to the basket. And it is all because of the same cause of Glenn Taylor owning a chicken farm and they killed some chickens because allegedly, like, the chickens were sick, so they, you know, killed them because they were sick, all the different stuff. And the animal rights activists are not rocking with Glenn Taylor. They want him to step down from his positions. They want him to divest from, from, from different uh, businesses that he's a part of. So they're going to keep going and keep going. At this point, I think that Glenn Taylor needs to say something. And if Glenn Taylor, you know, responds to this or releases a statement, I guess we can say the protest worked. I guess we can say that. But at this point, it's becoming asinine. I think that they're wrong for continuously going game to game and like like literally stopping play. I think that that is a lot because they, they stopped play for like five to six minutes because that woman was chained to the basket. And to be honest, you didn't know what she was going to do. You never know nowadays. Now, she, she wasn't going to do anything, but you never know in this day and age when we just had a mass shooting in South Carolina. So you never know. But Glenn Taylor say something, man. Apologize, do something, talk to them, because they can't do this every game. Because I think I feel as if it's going to get worse and worse. And, and they're going to do something crazier and crazier. Because first it was glue. Now it's a chain. What's happening next? Like I'm trying to preview what they're gonna do to, to disrupt the game next. <laughs> on, on what two on Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever the next time you know the, they they play game two. I'm I'm like dang I'm I'm, I'm doing a pregame show for them. Like what are y'all gonna do? But I just think that it's it's a lot. They have the right to peacefully protest. Um, and I guess that's what they're doing. But it, it's just a lot. And Glenn Taylor just needs to respond. Also, one last thing. This has nothing to do with the game itself, but I just want to say that I am a big fan of media, and I think we all are, and we all agree now that play-by-play -play and color commentating during a basketball game or a football game or any type of sports game is an art. 
and everyone cannot do it because for some reason in the first quarter, it was like five minutes left in the first quarter. Um, it was like audio technical difficulties for ESPN. So because of that, they went to commercial break and Stephen A. Smith, Jalen Rose and Mike Greenberg were forced to sort of pick up and do play by play as they were tr trying to sort things through. And it's hard, man. And I, I did it. I did it when I was at when I was at Fort Valley State University. I was the play by play and the color commentator, man. Don't play with me, man. I was the play by play and the color commentator. Don't play with me. All right. I did both at the same time. And sometimes I had to do it by myself. And trust me, it is not for the week. Talking for almost two hours straight. Your mouth foaming, you get thirsty, you get hungry after the game. I'm telling you, it is not for the week. So Ryan Rucco, Hubie Brown, uh, yeah, Richard Jefferson's getting better. Vince Carter's getting better. Y'all need to put some respect on these folks because it's different than doing a first take type show where you're just giving takes and opinions. It's different. And I think Stephen A. Smith and Jalen Rose saw that. I think Mike Greenberg did a serviceable job, but... Everyone has their place, just like on a basketball team. Just like we're saying that John Moran is the star and he has to step up as the star and then, and then he has to find some guys that can produce at the same level as him to contend with the high-scoring offense of, of, of the Timberwolves. It's the same thing for the broadcasters. You have Ryan Rucco, that's play-by-play. -play. You have Richard Jefferson, that's, that, that's the color commentator. And then you kick it back to Stephen A. and Jalen Rose and Mike Wilbon. They're providing you the personality and also the broader context of the game and what's to come. They're setting the table for, for what happened, and they're breaking things down in a broader context. But they found it hard to look at the game that was going on in front of them and say, hey, this is what Anthony Edwards did that I wish he would not do. Carl Anthony Towns should do this to affect the game moving forward based on what they're seeing. That's something else. So I, I think we need to put some respect on the, on the media and everyone plays a role to make the production run smoothly, both off camera, on camera, on the radio, producers, all of that. Everyone plays a role. So I think we all got a little media literacy lesson and we got, we got, we got a media production lesson and a sports journalism lesson all in this game. We, we got, we had, we had what, like, you know, first amendment protesting, you know, we had all of that, you know what I'm saying? Like we had a political discourse. We had a, a whole entire journalism one-on-one -on -one class and we had a class on an offense and how to, how to play team ball because the Timberwolves did that. And now they're leading one Oh, on the Grizzlies. It's going to get serious, man. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about two games. All right, let's talk about the Raptors versus the 76ers and the Nuggets versus the Warriors. Both games occurred uh, after um, the Timberwolves versus the Grizzlies game. And I want to peel back the curtain a bit, all right? I don't like doing this normally. I like being professional and having a barrier between the listener and me, but I have to be honest. I did not really watch either of the last two games. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm not going to sit here and be like, so Joel and B really submitted his MVP case. I, I, I didn't watch it. I mean, I was watching, but I was also on the phone and tweeting. Okay. <laughs> like, because it wasn't really interesting to be real. Um, you know, the high, the high paced, you know, fast energy of, you know, the Timberwolves and the and the Grizzlies, it was endearing, and you know, it was interesting, and I wanted to see what was going to happen because I was so ready for this matchup, and I was so ready to see 
the Grizzlies in a high leverage playoff situation. And, you know, I wanted to see Ant and Anthony Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. I wanted to see how they were going to perform under these bright lights after a very amazing playing game. But I was excited for the 76ers and the Raptors, but the 76ers thrashed the Raptors 111 to 131. It, It wasn't really too much to talk about. I mean, I have like a theory about James Harden that I can share with you if you would like me to, but um, Tyrese Maxey had a career game. Like Tyrese Maxey scored 38 points. Tyrese Maxey has gotten the 2018 James Harden powers because Tyrese Maxey was going federal, boy. Tyrese Maxey, five three-pointers, 38 points, four four rebounds, two assists, 66% from the field, shooting 14 of 21. Tyrese Maxey is going to be an X factor for the 76ers if they want to make a deep playoff run. After seeing this game, at least the glimpses that I really was truly watching, because also the fact that the Grizzlies game was ending and I wanted to see how it ended, and then the 76ers game was starting with ESPN2, it sort of had me discombobulated because I wanted to see how uh, the Grizzlies game ended and you know it sort of messed up the start um, of the 76ers versus Raptors game. But the 76ers were leading from the start. Joel Embiid didn't really have a monstrous game. He played 37 minutes, but they didn't really need him towards the end. I mean, because for, like, for the most part, they were blowing him out, you know? Um, they, they, they were blowing him out. Now, Joel had five personal fouls. That's also a reason why he didn't play all that much. I mean, Joel needs to cut that out because Joel is the offense. And when these games become more high leverage, when let's say the Raptors come to play game two, you know, let's say that they play the Heat or the Hawks in the next round, and now it's a real close game. Like they're going to need Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid can't get into foul trouble. So that's something that he's really going to have to watch. But I know that when the lights are the brightest, Joel Embiid is going to play well. James Harden, here's my theory on James Harden. Wait, before I talk about James Harden, as a matter of fact, man, Tobias Harris. Can I get a hand clap for Tobias Harris? Because y'all have desecrated that man all year. He had 26 points, six rebounds, and six assists. On 9 of 14 shooting, 64.3% from the field, and he made three three-pointers, got to the line six times, was 5 of 6. Y'all have destroyed that man all year. Y'all have put him in so many hypothetical trade scenarios. Y'all are saying this man's contract is terrible, so he's going to be trade bait for someone, and he is playing like really the second guy, with James Harden being the third guy. So shout-out to him. And then Matisse Thibel made a three-pointer. Now, granted, he ain't going to make no threes in Toronto because he's unvaccinated, okay? But he made a three-pointer, so shout out to him, plays with good defense. You know, Niang came in, he did his thing, hit two three-pointers. And then Shake Milton, my dog. Shake, I mean, if, if y'all don't remember, when Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were injured, I think this was like the 2018-2019 season, he had a stretch of games where I was like, yo, this man legit, this man might be a rising star. Philadelphia might be holding him back. But it's great to see that Shake Milton is getting, you know, high leverage playoff minutes and he's a producer on a playoff team because Shake Milton is the truth. I, like He's quick. He's elusive. I really like Shake, all right? But let me just give you my theory on James Harden. So James Harden's stat line, 22 points, five rebounds, 14 assists, and he was six of 17 from the field, 35%, and he made four out of seven three-pointers. I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing James Harden leave his prime. I think that the weight gain and his hamstring injury exacerbated it 
But I believe that we're seeing the rapid decline of James Harden. And at this point, James Harden is who he is. And you're not going to be able to change him. Gone are the days of James Harden getting 50 points and 20 assists. Gone are the days of James Harden blowing past you and either getting fouled or dunking on you or getting the layup. Gone are, are, are the days of the game winners where he shoots on two different people and falls down and gets a four-point play. Those days are gone. That James Harden is in Houston. His, his jersey was retired in the strip club. He has gone on. And, and the James Harden that you saw when he first got with the Brooklyn Nets, that was before the hamstring injury. I think the hamstring injury did a lot to James Harden and him playing on it. But also, I just don't believe he has that quick first step anymore. And now he's more of a facilitator. He's more of almost like your Chris Paul type of player. He still can get to the line and draw fouls with the best of them. And he still is an adept three-point shooter. That is who you have. And to be honest, James Harden in this state is better than Ben Simmons was when he was in Philadelphia. Now, granted, James Harden is not the defender of Ben Simmons. Like, Ben Simmons is an amazing defender. James Harden is not. However, one thing I can say about James Harden is that James Harden has big game potential. James Harden might go out there and start and, and, and get, you know, get his shot going, and he'll get 35 points just like that. We saw him have flashes of it in Brooklyn. We saw him have flashes of it with Philadelphia. So I believe that you're going to see James Harden score in the low 20s and get 14, 15 assists and set his teammates up. When I was watching the game, I, I was watching first quarter, all I saw was James Harden driving to the basket, collapsing the defense, and kicking it out to Tobias Harris, making sure that Maxie got shots, passing it to Joel Embiid and let him do his work. I think that James Harden is going to be a great facilitator for this Philadelphia team. And to be honest, I don't think that's bad. I believe that we're holding James Harden to a standard that he just cannot live up to anymore. He is a top 75 player. He was one of the best offensive players of all time when he was in Houston. And it was a real debate on who was the better offensive player between Kobe and James Harden. At some points, it seemed blasphemous, but it was a real debate. And people had good points when it came to it. But that James Harden is left. Because that James Harden prided itself on quickness, athleticism, and skill. And I think the quickness and the athleticism is gone. But what James Harden has always been is a great playmaker and a great passer. And you saw in Houston, he was able to always find the open three-point shooter, especially in that Mike D'Antoni system. Now, maybe if Mike D'Antoni ends up coaching the 76ers again, or coaching James Harden again and coaching the 76ers, maybe we'll see the old James Harden again. But I just don't see it. I honestly don't. I think that James Harden is what he is. But if he's able to produce at this level, if he can get me 22 points, maybe 25, maybe give me a game where you go for 30 or 35. You don't got to give me 40 or 50 or 60. That's what Joel Embiid is for. Joel Embiid is, is the scoring champion this year. Joel Embiid will get me that. I just need you to take a little bit of the playmaking load off of Joel Embiid. I need you to, you to get Tobias Harris rolling so he can give me 26 points and you're giving me 22. And I need you to, to help mentor and train up Tyrese Maxey so he can be a beast offensive player because that's the next guy. Because Tyrese Maxey has crazy potential. And James Harden really is showing him the tools of the trade and showing him how to do the step back and all his different moves. That's going to be good for his career. 
And that's going to be good for the 76ers because as James, as James Harden continues to decline, Tyrese Max is going to rise. So I think it's fine what James Harden is. I think we have to accept people for what they are and who they are. That's one thing I've learned from therapy. That's one thing I've learned from growth. You cannot change people. You have to look, you have to be able to analyze who they are and then acquiesce to what they're giving you. So I'm not going to expect 30, 40 points from James Harden because that's not what he's been. So I think we need to stop putting this big game, oh, all the pressure is on James Harden. James Harden is a second or third guy. He is the facilitator. He's the Jason Kidd of this group. Joel Embiid is, is the superstar. James Harden said, listen, I have turned in my superstar card. I am now a, a primary facilitator. I'm going to get the ball to, to Joel Embiid. I'm going to get the ball to Maxi. I'm going to get the shooters open. And if I need to, I'll drive in and get a layup. I'll use my IQ to get a good shot. Or I'll just get in, and when I need to, I'll get fouled, and I'll get my points from there. That's what that's what I think James Harden is. Now, granted, James Harden only, only had seven free throw attempts and made six of them. That's interesting, okay? But <laughs> Joel Embiid only, only had 11, by the way. So I think that that may be the playoff officiating. Uh, they didn't really give them all, all those whistles that they normally get. However, I just think that you're seeing the new version of James Harden. So welcome him to the NBA. And, you know, this is the new James Harden, guys. Get used to it. Don't get upset when he doesn't give you monster numbers. He's a facilitator that can score. He is he is a better version of Jason Kidd. He's Chris Paul in this stage where Chris Paul's with the Phoenix Suns. That is who he is. Let him be him. But you might get one game where James Harden says, man, I'm going to turn back the clock to 2017, 2018, and I'm going to get 50. He might give you that one day, all right? But let's talk about the reigning MVP and how, to me, now, I'm not an analytics guy, all right? I am an eye test guy, but I like analyzing the really the basic stats. Like, I look at the box score. I look at points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, no, I look at those numbers and I look at the stats from that from the box score, and I believe it tells me the story of the game. I'm a storyteller. I'm an author. I'm a writer. I love reading. I'm a big fan of the story. And if you, you probably have seen it or heard it, you know, as you listen to the podcast. So I'm a storyteller. So when I see the tell of the tape, and I see that the Golden State Warriors had 32 points to Denver's 20. When I see that, what that tells me is that nobody for Denver was scoring. And that's going to be the problem in the playoffs for the Nuggets. Now, listen, I don't believe that Nikola Jokic should be MVP for a second year. I think that both Joel Embiid and Giannis had a better season than him. And Devin Booker was a main producer on a contender on the number one team in the NBA. So I believe that all of those players should have some credence in this MVP argument. I understand Jokic puts up great advanced stats, but he just doesn't pass the eye test. And y'all swear that in losses, if someone scores 100 points in a loss, it's empty stats. These advanced stats seem rather empty to me. I mean, I don't have the full advanced stats in front of me, but Nikola Jokic in 34 minutes had 25 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals. He shot 12-25 40, he shot 48% from the field. He made zero three-pointers. And they lost 107 to 123. I, I mean, what what do I do with this? Like, what do I do with this information, man? I mean, 
he had a great year. But is he, re- and I understand he doesn't, he doesn't have the guys. I understand Jamal Murray's out. I understand that his second best player is Aaron Gordon. Like you got, you got Bones Highland. You know, you have, you have DeMarcus Cousins, Will Barton. Will Barton like was second behind him in points. I get it. I get it. He doesn't have Michael Porter Jr. He doesn't have Jamal Murray. But I just don't see what y'all see in, in, in Jokic. He makes great passes, has a great IQ. But I just don't see why the internet goes crazy over him and why the media is forcing us to have this level of respect for him where now he's a two-time MVP. I just don't see it. And I believe that we all have this view of Jokic because of his massive success in winning MVPs and winning these awards over our favorite players. And that's it. That, that, that's what it is. I, I'll be honest. That's what it is. I don't think he's a bad guy. You know, I, I, I like his style of play because I like guys that can think the game. As a fan of Chris Paul, as a fan of LeBron James, as a current fan of Trey Young, I like guys that can think the game. I like guys with high IQ. And Nikola Jokic has a high IQ, but he's not a two-time MVP. And I don't believe that in this current ideation of the team, even when Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. come back, I just don't believe that they're going to be a contender in the West. If the Timberwolves continue on this trajectory, if the Grizzlies continue on this trajectory, if the Suns finally break through and either make the finals again or win a championship and Devin Booker finally hits his prime, I just think that the Nuggets are going to be the perennial sixth seed because Luka's coming too. Who's to say the Rockets don't finally get it together? Like, I don't know. Who's to say the Thunder don't finally get it together? They get pa- Paolo Brancaro or Chet Holmgren or A.J. Griffin, and, and they just start turning up. Who, who's to say that that doesn't happen? I'm just not sold on the Nuggets led by Jokic as the primary guy as contenders in the West. I could be wrong. I would be happy to be wrong. But I just don't buy him as that. And in this game, all I saw was them creating a scheme to make it hard for Jokic to have those monster numbers. He still had 10 rebounds. He still had six assists, but he didn't have those typical monster numbers that you saw in the regular season. And because of that, the Warriors won. Jordan Poole had 30 points. Jordan Poole hit five three-pointers. Andrew Wiggins, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, all win double figures. And Steph Curry in 21 minutes coming off the bench had 16 points and he made three three three-pointers. The Nuggets are going to get swept. There's nothing they can do. They don't have the tools. They Like, Jokic's not going to really help on defense all that much, and they're going to start hunting him. And mind you, you have to realize that Steph Curry was coming off of the bench, and he's been out for a month. You have to realize that because he went out when Marcus Mark ran into his foot and hurt him trying to die for a loose ball. That happened on March the 16th. So Steph Curry missed the rest of the regular season. He's just come back a month later, like almost to the time, almost a month later. Imagine if Steph Curry was really going and Steph had around maybe 25, 26 points somewhere around the realm, the realm of Jordan Poole. This game would have been ugly. It would have been over from the start. Clay Thompson, 19 points, made five three-pointers. Draymond Green made a, free, made a three-pointer. And Draymond Green was bodying up Jokic, and he would not be moved. And I think that he was playing pretty good defense on Jokic. Had a great season, but it's going to end early. And he's going to accept his MVP award from home. And that's fine, because I'm not the, oh, you got to win the finals every year guy. 
I, I, and, and I think that if the Nuggets make some moves and Jamal Murray comes back, Michael Porter comes back, and you get some other guys in there, maybe they, they can contend, and I'll be wrong. But I just don't see it. Did I really watch this game? No, I was on Twitter. <laughs> like, I was doing other stuff. I'm not going to lie to you. But from what I saw when I was watching, Jokic has no chance. But just like LeBron didn't have a chance, Jokic is going to go down as one of the top 100 greatest players of all time when that list comes out. He might be top 50. He might be top 25. Jokic is going to be a transcendent player. I think he's going to be a face of the league. But I think we need to pump the brakes on him a little bit because we're allowing him to leapfrog some folks. Like, we're allowing him to leapfrog Giannis a little bit. Jokic is not the best player in the league. Is he one of them? He is. But he's not the best. And I want to make that point because how y'all are treating him like y'all are dismissing the other folks that are killing the game. Y'all are dismissing them. Joel Embiid is not better than Nikola Jokic in the totality of the scheme of the game. Like when I look at, not even stats, when I look at just the skill set that Nikola Jokic has, he is slightly better than Joel Embiid to me. But this year, Joel Embiid has been better. They essentially, for half the season, had the exact same supporting cast, and the 76ers really had worse. And then James Harden has not been like 2018 James Harden, like I said. So Joel Embiid had to still put up monster numbers to get his team into the top four in the East. The 76ers should have been a play-in team. The 76ers should have been the sixth seed. They should be playing Giannis and the Bucs instead of the Bulls. But you want to know why they're not in that position? In a tougher conference this year? Where all with everyone that made the playoff field, including the play-in, all of them had a winning record? You can't say that for the West this year. The East was tough. They beat each other up in the East. A lot of great players, a lot of great coaches, and, and a lot of great basketball being played in, in the Eastern Conference nowadays. So Joel Embiid was in a tougher conference. And he led his team by himself to the fourth seed. And you have to realize also that Joel Embiid, in November, he contracted COVID. He was out for, I would say, maybe, was it 10 games? I know he was out for 10 days. Was it 10 games? It was a lot of games that he missed. And the 76ers struggled. What if he never caught COVID? And he continued to play in that stretch. And they got maybe five or six more wins and they move up. Maybe they're the number one seed. Maybe they're playing the Hawks. Maybe they're, maybe they're the number two seed. And we finally get, you know, Durant and Kyrie versus Harden. Maybe that would have happened. Maybe. But I don't know because we won't get a chance to see it. Cause we're talking about hypotheticals. But when I look at the tell of the season, Joel Embiid was the better player this year. Your career stats, advanced stats, PER, all these different stats, I can't say that. I think Nikola Jokic has them. But on a year-by-year basis, and this year especially, Joel Embiid was better. And I guess we'll see what happens in the playoffs because that's where the narratives really get started. So I think it's really going to be on Jokic. I don't want to put pressure on the brother, but it's going to be on Jokic to really produce and to really show us he's that guy. And I understand it's hard, but y'all put this same pressure on LeBron James. I don't want to put it on him, but y'all did. (laughs) Y'all did it. 
So, I mean, I want to see what he does. I mean, you know, you got you got some guys, you know. Hey, I mean, you got some guys. I mean, you got you 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 got you got my boy Will Barton at 24 points. I'm just saying. Hit two three pointers. You got my guy. You know what I'm saying? You got Monte Morris, 10 points. He 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 can get a bucket for you. DeMarcus Cousins got Marcus Cousins got ejected, but DeMarcus Cousins can still get a bucket for you. So I mean, you you got some guys. Yeah, more than LeBron did in 2018. Go make it happen. I'm just saying. But I want to see what happens. I might, like, I, I'll do, let me let me meet Jokic in the middle. I think that he won't get swept. I think that Jokic will get one game. He'll have a statistically great game, almost perfect game, and they'll still a win. I wanna, they might steal game two. I don't know. Or they, they, they might win one at home. But he's going home in either four or five games. He doesn't have the tools. I don't think he's the guy that y'all are making him out to be, to just be this world beater. I don't think he's that guy. I believe he's one of the better players, but he ain't that guy. And I think that pretty soon we're all going to see it. And I do believe that when he wins this second straight MVP, we'll look back years from now. Just like how we did in hindsight with, with Russell Westbrook, although I don't think that, that was a bad MVP win. Um, we're gonna look back and we're gonna say, man, just like with Steve Nash, we really gave Nikola Jokic two MVPs. And it's gonna be folks that that defend it. Just like how there's folks that defend the Steve Nash win, although it's less. There's gonna be more people defending Jokic winning two straight MVPs. But at the same time, we're gonna look back and be like, wow, it was so much great basketball being played in the 75th season of the NBA. And we gave it to a guy that didn't make it out the first round, that didn't really pass the eye test. He made some good passes. He had some amazing stats. But Joel Embiid really contributed to winning in a real way. Joel Embiid had to deal with a bunch of drama with Ben Simmons, and he still led his team to the playoffs in a high seed in a tougher conference. Giannis really took a leap. Giannis started hitting three-pointers. Like Giannis really became that guy. Like, like Giannis really started to hit the pinnacle of his prime and started to become unstoppable in 2022. But we didn't reward that. Devin Booker what, what, what was a producer, a scorer, a leader on probably the eventual NBA champion Phoenix Suns. But we're not going to reward that. We're not, we're not going to give it to him. We're going to give it to the guy that puts up a bunch of stats. That's how it looks to me. Hey, listen, y'all can go in on me, but that's how it looks to me. But I didn't really watch the game, so I'm just talking. Okay, I'm just I, I'm doing exactly what, my, what Stephen A. Smith, the OG, and Jalen Rosen was doing during that, during that Grizzlies-Timberwolves uh, game. I'm just talking. and don't, don't, don't worry about me. All right, but uh, great, great day of basketball. Uh, it's playoff season. All right, so we got to kick the conversations off. We got to start the agenda, as they say on Twitter. So we have a lot of great games on tomorrow. Let's go on and read them off. You have the Hawks versus the Heat at 1 p.m. You have at 3.30 the Nets versus the Celtics. At 6.30, you have the Bulls versus the Bucks. And then you have the Suns versus the Pelicans. Let's not forget that Chris Paul is playing the organization that drafted him. That should be very interesting. So let me get my picks. Let me get my picks, okay? So I believe that the Hawks will steal game one against the Heat, all right? I think that the, the Celtics will beat the Nets. It will be a close game. 
I believe that the Bucks will beat the Bulls soundly, and I believe that the Suns will obliterate the Pelicans. It'll be no contest. And I believe that the NBA media will be talking about how, hey, should should the Nets be scared now that they're down 0-1-0? Will Ben Simmons really help them out? That's going to be the conversation. So it's going to be an amazing Easter Sunday of basketball. Happy Easter to everyone. Hope you have a great time. Wherever, wherever you do in church, wherever you're doing, and make sure to watch basketball and support the playoffs because there's some great matchups, and I believe this is going to be one of the best playoffs of all time. But outside of that, thank you so much for listening in. And as always, we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Pulse Radio.